Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, September 25th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, hear the harrowing story of a Mississippi woman who attempted suicide, got help, and now spends her days helping others find better mental health. Then, a new Get Out the Vote campaign is focusing on Hines and Washington counties and Mississippi's historically black colleges. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, we'll talk about ovarian cancer and who could be at risk. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Suicide is now the third leading cause of death in Mississippi among adolescents and young adults ages 10 to 24. Almost 450 Mississippians took their own lives in 2017, according to the state mental health department. 23-year-old Darby Damon is with the agency. She says it was her faith that helped her heal from years of anxiety and depression that began when she was a child. Damon tells MPB's Desiree Frazier about her illness, her desire to die, and her path back to mental health. I think the depression part of it, which was a big part of it, hit ninth grade. Um, But all my life, even as a little kid, I dealt with pretty extreme anxiety um, to the point where I'd get really worked up about it. Um, and then experienced panic attacks in high school and especially my freshman year of college. When was it that it became overwhelming for you? When did it get to the point where you felt like, I I don't want to go on this way? I want to say it started my senior year of high school, but I didn't try to take my life until my junior year of college. Um, I'd I'd do everything I could to tell myself, you know, to to just hang on um, and that maybe it'll get better. Um, and it got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm tired of lying to myself. But now I know that's not true. It just it takes a lot of work. And, you know, the hardest part isn't just asking for help. It's asking again and again until you get the right help. And so that's, that's what I had to do, and I had to power through. And it, it took a lot of people and support, and it, it took a lot of myself as well. And a lot of, pr- a lot of prayer, um, my faith came into play for sure. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a thing. You can't, you can't exactly will it away. There's treatment, and um, it's available, but you just have to 
find the right people. You mentioned that um, when we were talking earlier that you experienced a lot of anxiety in college. Yeah, I, I did. I think it it kind of had a breaking point in a way where, you know, you have all that transition. Um, everything's new. You're trying to make friends. You know, the um, academic rigor is different. Um, everything's different. You're away from home. And so I think it escalated pretty quickly. Um, had lots of major panic attacks, some to the point where I couldn't go to a quiet place or to my dorm room. And I just, like, lost all strength and was right there, like, in front of my dorm or in the cafeteria and just, like, broke down. Um, you know, couldn't breathe, could hardly see, hyperventilating, like, couldn't move. Um, and I was actually called in um, to my school, to the office, and sat down, and I guess they thought my panic attacks were behavior disturbances. And so, you know, the person that I was talking with, they, you know, kept calling it, referring it to behavior disturbances. Even though I was like, okay, um, what do you mean? Have I done anything wrong? Um, And so they tried to explain their side, and I don't know, it gets a little complicated, but basically I was temporarily suspended, couldn't participate in extracurricular um, or stay on campus for a good while um, because of it. And at what point did you decide, this is it, I'm I'm just not going to go through this anymore? I think I got tired of uh, pretending and faking it, so I faked it. I faked it until I couldn't. I faked that I could show up to class and perform. I faked that I could interact with people. I... Um, I did what I could, and it took it took a lot of strength. People say, or people might think that mental illness is weak, but I know for sure anyone struggling is, is very strong. Um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to, to live with it, and it takes a lot to, you know, come up against the stigma as well. Um, but I guess I was walking to an event or through the quad. I have, didn't really know what day it was. I was tired. Um, I noticed they were setting up for lighting of the quad, which is a Christmas event. Um, My computer just crashed like it did every finals week, and I was really upset about it. Um, I was concerned that um, the anxiety part, I thought my friends weren't really my friends and, like, was just having all these thoughts and was so depressed. And I was like, wow, it's almost Christmas. I hate Christmas. It's close to my birthday. It's one more year. I told myself it wouldn't get better, and it hasn't. Is it ever going to get better? Am I ever going to be able to contribute and be like a normal person? Um, And I was like, no, no, it's not. And so I went back to my dorm room and... And that's when Darcy Damon took matters into her own hands. She asked us not to describe what she did to specifically end her life. She doesn't want to create a roadmap for someone else considering suicide. In short, Damon took a substance she knew could kill her. Then she went to join some friends on campus. Um, I went back out to Lighting the Quad, shaken. Um, people are like, wow, like you must be cold. Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, central nervous system was shutting down, parasympathetic, everything. Um, felt like I was having a panic attack. Vision was going out, losing my strength, couldn't hardly breathe, but it, I knew it wasn't just in my head this time. Um, and so someone asked if I was okay. I said no. Um, I hit the ground, and then I was rushed to the hospital. And I don't really remember much of those uh, 24, 48 hours after that um, until I was at the hospital conscious. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a thing. <laughs> How did you recover? What was involved in your recovery? Right. Um, It took a lot. Um, It took opening up to my parents again, which they're very supportive and I love them dearly and I'm so blessed to have them. Um, But it took it took me trying to explain myself again because they know I'm strong and they kept telling me I was strong. But I was like, look, I may be strong, but I'm not that strong. I'm going to need I'm going to need some more. Um, and so they were receptive to that, and they got me the help that I needed. And I'm still seeing my um, a counselor that I had 
um, back then. And so that's been very helpful, very helpful to me in a lot of different ways. Um, so I'm going to have to really rely on my family. I'm going to have to really rely on my faith. And I just kept praying, God, like, I need you, I need you to take this away just a little bit, um, or I'm not going to be able to handle it. Um, and I just kept praying and praying. And I remember I was in the shower one night, and I was just crying, and I was praying, and I was like, oh, gosh, like, what, how? Like, I feel worse than I did before, and I'm not dead. And uh, I remember crying and just forgiving, forgiving a lot of people. Um, a lot of people I'd asked for help that didn't know how to give it to me. And so I forgave them, um, all of these people. And then I realized at the same moment, you know, the one person I've never forgiven is myself. And I had held so much shame and so much guilt towards myself for having this issue um, that I just needed to let it go. And I cannot tell you how relieving that was. Um, This weight just lifted, and I just felt so much better. I felt like maybe I can do this. (laughs) Um, And it was wonderful. And I got out the shower, a new person. um, And it's, it's been different ever since. It hasn't completely gone away. Um, but it's definitely been a huge change. Um, I'm no longer as anxious as I was. Um, I'm no longer as depressed as I was. Um, I can function better, and I think it's a lot of, of that guilt that I was carrying around that just exasperated everything. And I think uh, that's what a lot of people live with, too. It's not just stigma of other people. It's our own stigma and our own shame. It's a barrier. What is your message to other people? How can you help people? Because you definitely... Uh, have been through some very dark times. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And more so than that, like, don't be afraid to keep asking um, because you're worth it. And there is real help out there. And, you know, people people that don't deal with it or know someone that deal with it, um, they may not they may not know, you know. And it's not necessarily their fault, but um, there are people out there that understand. And it, it is a real issue. And, like, health is health, your physical health, your mental health, and it all ties together. Darcy Damon of the Mississippi Department of Mental Health with our Desiree Frazier. The department says one out of every five people will experience a mental illness in their lifetime. They say someone in crisis could call 911. If you need someone to talk to, there's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Coming up, a new Get Out the Vote campaign is focusing on Hines and Washington counties and Mississippi's historically black colleges. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A grassroots voter registration campaign is underway in Mississippi, targeting those who are historically disenfranchised. The Southern Poverty Law Center is launching the We Vote Mississippi campaign. It's aimed at potential voters in Washington and Hines counties and on the campuses of historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs. The campaign focuses on new voters and voters of color, says Karen Short of the SPLC. We Vote Mississippi is a project of the Southern Poverty Law Center, a nonpartisan grassroots voter mobilization campaign leading up to Mississippi's 2019 general election. We have field offices located in Jackson and in Greenville, and the campaign is going to focus on registering and mobilizing historically disenfranchised voters in both Hines and Washington counties, specifically voters of color, new voters, and voters who are less likely to turn out in a non-presidential election. Now, surely there are more counties than those two that have disadvantaged voters. Why those two? Are those the largest 
Does that represent the largest population? Um, Hines County certainly does, um, and we would have loved to do a completely statewide effort, um, but with the resources that we have, um, we decided to focus on Hines County, which of course has um, the largest population um, and is also fairly dense, which is makes it um, an ideal setting for a canvassing campaign, people walking around and, and going door to door to contact folks. Um, we wanted to focus on on the Delta and Washington County and Greenville um, in particular um, because there are a lot of voters up there, but that area typically doesn't get the same type of attention from civic engagement groups um, that Hines County does. I understand you're also targeting HBCUs. A key part of our um, campaign is registering newer voters. And so you're going to find a lot of new voters on college campuses. And there are a lot of efforts underway at at some of the larger schools, Ole Miss and and the other schools. But we wanted to focus on schools that might be smaller. um, And also because black voters are traditionally um, disenfranchised historically, uh, we also wanted to focus on HBCUs. All right. And you wanted to focus on them for the same reason. Yes. Trying to contact uh, as many voters who are new or who maybe are newly registered and um, aren't aware of the the significance of of this upcoming election uh, and make sure that as many voices um, are heard as possible. You're targeting heavily Democratic and heavily African-American areas. Is this a partisan effort? Absolutely not. SPLC is a nonpartisan organization. We're interested in ensuring that as many people who are eligible to vote can vote and get out and vote. Um, And we know that there are um, a number of demographics that are historically disenfranchised, and we want to make sure that those folks have their voice heard and that they have the resources that they need to go out and vote. What are, in those targeted areas, and especially the colleges and universities, why are they telling you they don't vote or aren't even interested in registering to vote? I think a lot of people are disillusioned by the political process. Um, it's sometimes hard to, to see how your one vote could really make a difference. Um, but we really want to emphasize to folks that, you know, the special election last year was decided by only 76,000 votes. Um, and really voting, it sets a precedent for for you, for your family. Um, it really makes an impact on on kids who see their family members and and friends voting. Um, and so we really want to emphasize that it does matter. And we, we hear their concerns and we want to make sure that they have all the tools they need to to vote. Are you hearing the same reasons from older voters who are disenfranchised African-American voters? It's certainly something that that I've heard when I've been out um, canvassing uh, in other parts of the Deep South. And, and it's it's a concern. People are frustrated with with the political process, and um, they're not sure that it's going to make any difference. So sure, it it spans all demographics. Karen, where can people find out more about We Vote Mississippi? We have a website. It's wevotemississippi.org, and you can find updates there and opportunities to join to become a part of the campaign. But really, we want to emphasize that everyone who is eligible to vote should come out, vote, register if you're not registered, Bring your family, bring your friends, make sure that everyone in your life is aware of the importance of this election um, and that everybody votes. Karen Short is a senior staff attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Thank you so much for being with us, Karen. Thank you.
Coming up, we'll talk about ovarian cancer and who could be at risk. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Under my toenail, this chalky, white-looking stuff. I've been to the doctor, and they said it's a fungus, but I, I haven't been able to have it go away. Yeah, that's a common thing, too, particularly in the South, uh, just because we live in a more you know humid environment most of the year. So fungi, they like sort of moist environments, and you know your feet tend to stay a little bit more moist than other parts of the body. But the fungus sometimes likes to set up shop underneath the toenail and even in the in the nail bed that produces the toenail. The thing about fungal infections, if they're on the skin, they're a little bit easier to treat. But if they get in the toenails or fingernails or hair, almost always you have to treat those with a medication by mouth. You can try to use some of the topical. Lamisil is one that you can get, but uh, most of those are not going to work just because it has to go down to the, either the hair follicle if it's in the hair or the nail bed to treat that. And it can take a long time, like three to six months sometimes to clear up. It's not just a cosmetic concern, particularly if you have other things like diabetes. That can be a, a point of entry of bacteria if you have chronic you know, fungal infections. You may have to take a medication by mouth to get rid of that. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Ovarian cancer causes more deaths each year than any other cancer of the female reproductive system. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Several factors may increase a woman's risk for ovarian cancer, including being middle-aged or older, being obese, or not having children. Dr. Michelle Owens is an OBGYN at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She joins us to talk about the risk factors for the disease and why it can be tough to detect. Ovarian cancer ranks fifth uh, among uh, cancer deaths in women, um, and it is only preceded by lung cancer, uh, breast cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, and then ovarian cancer ranks five. Are there more deaths because it's difficult to diagnose? Difficulty in diagnosis is one of the leading reasons why, or one of the biggest factors in overall prognosis for cancer in general, right? So we always talk about early detection, and that's why screening is really important. Um, And with ovarian cancer, unfortunately, a lot of the presenting symptoms um, for ovarian cancer are often confused with other things, or they can be so benign and indolent that it's very difficult for anybody to think that something's wrong. So usually by the time a person has overt symptoms of their disease, the disease is actually progressed to a much later stage. Um, early stage ovarian cancer is extremely difficult to diagnose and in most instances is virtually asymptomatic. Is there a screening to determine whether ovarian cancer is there? So, so 
There's really not a good screening tool. I think um, when you talk about ovarian cancer screening, that's one of the areas where we have a lot of work to be done in finding something that is very reliable. Uh, most people may be familiar with a test, a blood test called a CA125, which is um, a, a blood test that can be run it can be elevated in cases of ovarian cancer. The problem is that CA125 can also be elevated in a variety of other um, syndromes or other situations. So an elevated CA125 by itself is not really as good of a marker. However, in those women who do have a diagnosis of ovarian cancer, they can follow CA125s and you can see response to treatment based on a change in those levels as opposed to actually using that to be able to help as a tool in diagnosis. What women are more likely to develop ovarian cancer? There are risk factors for ovarian cancer. Um, Obesity is one of them. It's actually probably one of the greater contributors. Other things that can increase one's risk are women who don't have um, who don't have children. So if you've never had children before, um, then that can be considered a risk factor for ovarian uh, cancer. Is that related to hormones? Absolutely. Um, it's it's not just about hormones per se, but it's about so it is a normal process of the ovary to as we are going through because when women are born we have all the eggs we're ever going to have in our lives and so as we go through our lives the process of having menstrual cycles and all that causes changes in those in the cells and that the eggs the germ cells etc that are within our ovaries and so as we go through life the more that, that the ovaries have to work the more of an opportunity you have for cancer to develop. Other things that probably are also more um, that would put a person at higher risk are older age. So um, it is not it can occur at any age, but is much more common in women who are in the 50 to 60 um, year range. Um, also, women who have a certain genetic conditions. So when we talk about breast cancer and BRCA1 and BRCA2, there are some uh, genetic syndromes and familial syndromes that increase women's risk for breast cancer. Um, If you have a family history of ovarian cancer, that can also be a risk factor. And for those women who have uh, estrogen replacement therapy, so if they are on long-term estrogen replacement therapy, that can also be considered a risk factor. Any final thoughts about awareness? Well, I just think it's something that women need to be aware of. You definitely need to know know your risks. And as we always say, just trust your bodies. If you have a family history, don't delay. If you are a woman who has struggled with breast cancer, etc., I think that that's also something to be mindful of. And most women who um, have a history of breast cancer has have been counseled about their ovaries and their subsequent risk for ovarian cancer. But definitely make sure that you ask your doctor um, and have them determine whether or not you may be one of those people in whom that CA-125 test may be a consideration or indicated for you. Dr. Michelle Owens is an OBGYN with a specialty in maternal fetal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Owens. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.